You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome to episode 30 of Lead to Soar, where we're bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Welcome returning and new listeners alike. During season two, we heard from listeners that they'd like to hear more from us, Michelle Redfern, Susan Colantuno, myself, Mel Butcher, and our newest partner inside a career that soars, Amal Youssef. So this episode and others you might have listened to already in season three are a result of that. Today, Michelle and I discuss the idea of having it all and the pressure this puts on women. In particular, we discuss this in the context of women juggling motherhood and careers. We'd love to hear what you think, and we also take listener questions and answer them on future episodes. So to get in touch, you can reach us inside A Career That Soars or leave us a voicemail at leadtosoar.com. That's leadtosoar.com. Now, let's dive into today's Having It All discussion with Michelle Redburn. Michelle, I'm so happy to be here with you again today on Lead to Soar. Me too, Mel, and I'm looking forward to well, really uh, getting into a topic that is near and dear to my heart, um, and I know near and dear to many of our members and listeners' hearts. So, uh, yeah, let's let's crack on. Excellent. So today we are going to talk about motherhood. And this has come up inside a career that soars because we have some members who have recently become mothers. And Michelle, you are a mother. So talk to us, why did you become a mother? The first thing I want to say is I became a mother by today's standards, even by my own standards, very, very young. So I was only 25 when I had my first child and I was 29 when I had my second child. And there were a range of things that happened. <laughs> I won't go through the biological facts, but anyway. Um, you know, I just, it, it, it kind of was something that just happened. I, 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 don't, I can't say that I ever didn't want to be a mother, but I can't say that I ever really, really wanted to be a mother until I was one. So, but what I always was, was someone who knew that she would have a career, that I would always work. I would always have a career. I, I was ambitious, etc. And motherhood happened in amongst that. I don't know that I can give a reason other than it just kind of happened. Certainly my second child, I absolutely went, yeah, right. I seriously want a child, another child now. Whereas my first one was just this delightful kind of little happenstance that, that occurred. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. I've got my own little friend and plaything, and he was just so cute. <laughs> so I have a few more personal questions I want to get into your experience. And then I've got some broader questions. So, all righty. 
I'd like to ask you, what has been most rewarding for you about motherhood? Most rewarding, I always have said to my kids, and they probably don't remember, but they made me. They, I made them, but they made me. I became quite, or I evolved, I don't think you changed, I evolved into quite a different human being once I had the responsibility of, of little humans. And they helped me, by becoming their mother, they helped me really expand my horizons around being responsible and caring for and having a very visceral care for humans. I think I know that they increased my ability to, to feel empathy. Uh, they increased my ability to organise and manage, even though I was pretty good at it anyway. But they, yeah, they made me. They really, they, they have made me who I am today. And they helped accelerate some development of mine that perhaps with, without them I would have had. Perhaps I wouldn't have, we, we will never know, but they made me. They really did make me. In your own life, how do you think about the intersection of your personal life and your professional life? I think about it very differently now than when I did when I was the kid's mother, you know, 30 odd years ago. Um, I, and for those of you who've tuned in before, you've, you've heard a little bit of my backstory. In my first marriage and, in, and at that time in my life, I had a very compartmentalised life. So I would have the Michelle Redfern, who was the mother of Brendan and Kelsey. I would have the Michelle Redfern, who was the wife of someone else. Uh, I would have the Michelle Redfern, who fronted up to work and was a colleague and a peer and a oh, bit of a pain in the ass. But anyway, I had a very compartmentalised life, Mel. Now, I did that f not necessarily because I was a mother. However, certainly as time went on and, and I became more senior, I, I exhibited some of the behaviours that we now know as masking which was playing down my motherhood, playing down my other life outside of my, my professional role. At the time, I didn't really understand that I was doing that, but I was. And it was because inherently I knew I needed to be seen as someone who was very capable, competent, credible and was committed to the job not having the distractions that mums have. So I masked big time or compartmentalised and masked big time. I want to ask you about some of the challenges that you faced. So let's start with, can you tell us about any challenges that you experienced as a working mother that you weren't anticipating? Yeah, it's a good question because I tend to bowl on into life and bowl on into whatever it is I'm doing outwardly and, and mostly inwardly, completely single-mindedly sure about what it is I'm doing and why. And I think, well, oh, people will just get that as well. And one of the challenges that I faced was an inherent assumption that I'd want to work in a certain way 
because I was now a mum. I remember being pregnant with my first child and now for a whole range of reasons, including financial, I was coming back to work after he was born. And the questions I got then were, oh, so are you going to come back to work after the baby's born? And my typical response was, well, yeah, unless I want to feed my family Vegemite sandwiches uh, for, the, for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a financial need to come back to work. And I actually really like work, so yes. And the challenge I faced, interestingly enough, was, you know, in there was this, we have motherhood nurses or, child, oh God, I can't remember what they're called, for new mums here in Australia. And they typically, you know, they look after the mum and the baby and what have you. And this nurse I had put me into a first-time mother's group. This first-time mother's group, I'm, I'm sitting around in our first meeting thinking, oh, this will be a great opportunity for, for some discussion about what's going on in the world and yada, yada, yada. And, and everyone was kind of talking about their kid and the stuff that kids do, you know, poop and spew and, you know, crawling or not. Or, and I'm going, okay, so, man, I'm so starved for some conversation here because I'm at home with this little human who is delightful but not very intellectually stimulating. And so I sort of tried to steer the conversation and there was not a lot of interest in the stuff I wanted to talk about. And, but then there was abject horror at the fact that I was going back to work when my, my child was five months old and I was going back full time. So I wasn't working part time or flexible or anything like that. There was no, none of that in, the, in those days. And I went, oh man, I don't belong. I don't belong in this world of motherhood because I'm different because I don't want, I actually don't want to be home with my kid all day, every day. That is not who I am. I am a, I get such joy and fulfilment from so many things in my life, including my work. And I love my kid, but I don't want to do this all day, every day. And I felt like a fish out of water. So strangely enough, it wasn't the workplace where I first encountered my challenges it was now whether it was my own story I was telling myself but I felt quite a lot of judgment from my peers who were mothers um, about the choices I was making and that was really tough because then I started to really question so I think that that's going to resonate with some other young mothers who hear that because even today there's quite a lot of judgment passed on women, uh, certainly women who have gone down the motherhood path. And what's really bizarre is that it, it crosses the spectrum. You know, you work too much, you don't work enough. You yeah. spend too much time with your kid, you don't spend enough time with your kid. So I want, I want to come back to that, but are there any other challenges you face as a working mother that you would want to share? A hundred percent. It's, um, as a working mother, you know, there's, there's the day shift, <laughs> which is the stuff your organisation pays you to do. Then there's the day shift that you don't get paid to do, which is all the stuff that goes with running a household and kids and, and family and what have you. And then there's the night shift, 
So there's, you know, we, we've heard it called, particularly during COVID, which has exacerbated a lot of these issues. We've heard it called the double-double shift. And, you know, I, I, whilst I now live a very, very free life because I don't have the responsibility for small humans any longer, I, I, put, I take my hat off to, to women who, like me, are doing their day job, doing their other day job, and then going home and doing the night job as well. And these challenges around the load, um, whether it be a physical, emotional, mental load that women have is, is extraordinary. And one of the best examples I got uh, or heard, and I wish I could remember who it was, I'm sure it was Annabelle Crabb, who's a really terrific political and feminist writer here in Australia. She talked about the fact that, I think it was her, I'm crediting Annabelle anyway, but the fact that there will be that, well, I'll do the dishes by the, the partner, oft, oft, and I am talking about heterosexual relationships, often the, the, you know, the other partner being male. I'll do the dishes and I'll mow the lawn and I'll, I'll do some tidying up. Okay, but can you tell me when your kid's next vaccination's due? And are the presents ready for the kid's birthday party that he's going to on Saturday? And what about the sport run? And who's organising the oranges for half time? And, 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 and have you remembered your mum's birthday? And, 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 and. Now, you know, I, I can already hear some people going, yeah, 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 but women do that to themselves. But women do that, don't do that to themselves. Society, you know, expectations of what women do does that. So I'm not, I will never ever blame women as a, but I will blame the patriarchy and society for putting these very gendered expectations on who does what in the home. So back to your question, Mel, I see and I hear and I congratulate women who are doing the double, double, double shift. But how might we stop that? How might we change that? Because it's having real implications. Absolutely. And we also have to acknowledge that there's a, a good deal of women who are raising children alone. So yep. some numbers I looked at for the United States indicate that it's approximately one in four mothers are raising children alone. So they don't have... A partner helping them uh, and they really are taking on everything so absolutely I yeah, agree and we've seen we've seen um, and, and the impact not only on the woman and her family is also on organizations we, we, I've just read a Deloitte report yesterday around the impact of, of COVID on working women uh, and they surveyed 5,000 women across 10 different companies, I beg your pardon, 10 different geographies. And the the stuff that was coming out really told us that, you know, there's a heavy toll being taken on working women, but women are, they're saying 77% said their workload has increased since the COVID-19 crisis broke. And the majority of their, of their um, the respondents are planning to leave their workplace, leave their current employer uh, within two years and nearly a quarter may leave the workforce for good because it's just too hard, either at the employer or working full stop. Now that's an enormous burden on everyone. So, you know, what I want us to do here is pay attention to those women who are doing that work, all of that work and say, how might we support them? 
and how might we also have conversations with the leaders who are listening in organisations to say, got to pay attention to this, folks, because there's a bottom line impact for organisations and there's an enormous impact for the global economy and society in general if we don't address this. Absolutely. And there's a link I can share uh, from New York Times where they go through what women's unpaid labor is worth. So even if we only paid women minimum wage, their work in a year globally is worth in excess of $10 trillion. Yep. Women still do the bulk of unpaid work, caring for relatives, housework, etc. And that also has... Uh, as many people have pointed out, also has a very high emotional toll. Yeah. 77% of unpaid labour in the world is still done by women. So we're, we're not making stuff up here. Right. Let, let that sink in. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. So let's talk a little bit about some societal ideas that get pushed on us. And in particular, we want to talk about this idea of having it all. Hmm. Tell us your sort of initial take on, you know, how this is, how this idea is pushed onto women and what's wrong with it. Well, so... I've just been watching a news article about Instagram influencers, uh, actually. So this is very timely. So we do have, like, let's face it. So when I was a mum 31 years ago for the first time, there was no Instagram. I barely read any parenting books. I kind of, you know, just kind of went along quite intuitively. And yes, I did get, you know, the, the messaging around what women do and what men do and what have you. But now... I look and I think that influence around you can have it all, you can be it all, you can have this life is so, it's ubiquitous and it's insidious because this messaging which women today says is that if you don't have it all, now number one, I, I want to talk about what having it all actually means, but if you don't have it all, so you haven't got the perfect kid, the perfect hair, the perfect job, the perfect marriage, the perfect home, blah, 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 you know, I won't go on, you are somehow a failure. Now, flip it, do men who are parents 
particularly of little humans, do they get that same messaging? Do you ever hear about a man saying, yeah, I think I can have it all? Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can have it all, man, because you've got a whole bunch of folks enabling your having it all. So having it all is really dangerous. So if, if I were to say this, if someone were to say to me, how do I have it all, Michelle? And I say, well, how about you, first of all, let's define what all means. Because I think you can have it all, but just not all at once. And for me, that's where I didn't get it right was communicating effectively enough with my first partner, the children's father, and perhaps others to say, here are my life goals and here's the way I want to live my life and what do we need to do and how do we negotiate how we're going to do that and is that your view of the way we're going to have our life. So number one is what, it, what does having it all actually mean? Number two is there are just there are trade-offs, you know, there are trade-offs in, in pretty much everything in life. So if we don't encounter some barriers and learn how to navigate them and negotiate and things like that, I think we're not we're not going to become very evolved human beings. So let's let's be realistic to say what are what are the things, what are the trade-offs or the enablers that, that are going to help us or me have what it is that I define as success. So I'd rather than I'd rather talk about living a full and fulfilling life than having it all and you know for, for some women that's going to be yeah I, I expect to continue my career and advance my career and and work through my career plan uninterrupted by the fact that I've also chosen to become a parent okay so that's cool so what do we need to do to get really clear about the enablers for that happening some of that might be, so number one, if, if I have a partner, a life partner, does that person, are they on board with that? And what role do they want to play in that? For my wife and I, because she was my kids' parents from when they were quite young, that meant we had a discussion about, well, you know, she's a banking executive, I'm a... I'm doing me. Um, I'm an executive in whatever industry I happen to find myself in at the time. But and we we had a discussion right from the outset, and she just said, you know, I am not as driven, ambitious. Uh, I, I don't have that that desire right now that you do to do what you want to do. And we also had a financial discussion. Who had the capacity to support the family in what way financially? And we worked out together that it was, we were going to put my career on the front burner and she was going to be the enabler of my career at that time. So that meant that she picked up some of the load of the things that I had been doing on my own or in my, my previous uh, relationship. And that was, a, was actually, I, there's another great book by Annabelle Crabb, the same woman called uh, The Wife Drought. And, you know, everyone needs a wife. And I use that in a slightly pejorative term because this is, goes back to these gendered stereotypes. But Annabelle talks about the fact that we we have a, a whole range of people in society who are, who are in leadership roles, who have had their careers and their leadership roles typically enabled by a woman, often their wife. 
and often they are men. In fact, the statistics tell us that they are men. So Rhonda and I had that conversation. And then we reviewed it and we reviewed it. And she kind of, you know, she's done a, she's a CFO. She's had a very successful career. And as at different times, particularly as the kids hit different milestones in their lives, she was, she would kind of really roll on in and step up and, and take, take some of this stuff. So for me, me having it all was having a partner who enabled me to have it all, but we really defined what our all was. For some women, they it, it may be as simple as, all right, so do I have the capacity to outsource some of the stuff that I do? So for, you know, do I have someone doing my house, cleaning my house, so that I, the, the time that I do spend with my family is quality time, not running around with a, with a vacuum cleaner and you know, dishcloths? Is it other stuff that you can outsource, you know. But but again, oh, I think there's the outsourcing, but there's that conversation in the home. As a family, what are our goals? Each of us are individuals within this relationship. What are our goals and how do we help each other achieve those goals? How do we have that mutuality? And I would never obviously claim to be a marriage counsellor. Hello. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I think that's a really good start. What does all mean for you in the context of yourself, your goals, your ambition, but in the context of your family and relationships. Right. And I think there's some practical considerations that, that everybody has to think through. Uh, so there's a big difference between the United States, you know, having a child in the United States and having a child in some other developed countries like Australia, where there is more support. Uh, yeah. You know, I've seen instances where a woman will choose to continue to work and almost all of her salary equivalent will be spent on childcare because it's yeah. incredibly expensive in the United States. And that decision to do that m may not seem like it makes sense on the surface, but it does make sense if her ambition is to ascend quickly and to make more money in the future she has to make 100%. a choice like that to Absolutely. progress in her career I, I and it's i'm glad you brought up that the cost of childcare because it is still whilst there are some noises here in australia about making it less prohibitive it's it's really i, I want to say that reform sooner rather than later obviously because it is one of the biggest enablers of women's workforce participation around the globe which will lift global um, GDP. But I, I recall someone saying to me once, and I, I won't say who it was, but actually they won't be listening. It was my ex-mother-in-law. <laughs> she said, she won't be listening to my podcast. Um, she said, I don't know why you work, you know, all, it must cost you more than your salary or just about all your salary. And I said, you know, I, I kind of got all these people giving me all the reasons why I shouldn't work. And, and I'm, yes, I know childcare is prohibitive, but has anyone actually asked me what I want? Because I really wanted to work. And I knew, and because I was strategic, I knew that if I opted out of the workforce for too long, I was going to get left behind. As it was, I had a good period where I worked only 30 hours a week. Now, I was very fortunate that I worked for Telstra, one of Australia's biggest employers. I had very good superannuation, so pension fund. 
I had very good conditions. But there's no doubt that that working part-time for a good period of time set me back. I always say it set me back 10 years in terms of, of the levels that you progress through. Had I opted out for that seven years of the workforce and then tried to enter back in, number one, it would have been really difficult and I would have been starting from scratch. So, so the investment that I'd made in my career to date, frankly, would have been wasted because I would have had to reset and start all over again. So th this is a, it's a really important point. So number one, let's stop judging women for whatever it is that they want to do. So I, I had a friend at the time who she, once she had her first child, she did not ever go back to work. Good on her. And I respected her for that, just like she respected me for, for the choices I made. So we've got to respect women for the choices that they make and also try and understand a bit of, you know, what, what the backstory is. But then let's also say, let's look at the, you know, the, the system stuff as well and say what else might be holding her back. And the choices she's making, frankly, she, you know, there are some women who might be, as to your point, Mel, going, you know, I really, really would like to spend two years at home with my kid, but I can't take that risk. I can't take the risk of not being able to re-enter the workforce at the same level, or frankly, if I'd stayed in the workforce, I I'm two years behind, so I at the level I would have been at, that's not going to happen. Um, they can't take the risk. So you've, you've possibly got women in your workplace who are also going, I seriously don't want to be here at the moment. But I know I have to be because strategically I'm going to have a real penalty in two or three years' time unless I did this. So I'm, I'm you know, and there's that emotional load of, man, I'm guilty. And actually I don't want to be here, but I know I have to be for my lifetime earnings to look after my family. So there's, geez, there's a lot going on that by and large, male parents don't necessarily have to navigate. I'd like to see that change, but they don't necessarily have to navigate. So there's a few things in this conversation that are reminding me of a book called Drop the Ball by Tiffany Defu, And I want to share at least one thing from that. So here's, here's a quote from that book. Tiffany wrote, The greatest privilege that men in the workplace have had isn't a corporate or public policy. It's a partner at home. A non-paid working dad a.k.a. stay-at-home dad, might be some working mom's idea of a superhero. But non-paid working dads are not the ultimate solution. We do not need role reversal. Rather, we need a new model of teamwork in which both parents are meaningfully engaged at work and at home, collaboratively making decisions that reflect what matters most to them. So, Michelle, what, what would you like to add to that? Well, I, I'm going to add to that. I've, I have uh, two friends who are the living embodiment of everything I've talked about in terms of that having it all, the partnership and, and Tiffany's book. So Cam and Claire, who are my Australian friends, but they live in Silicon Valley. Uh, one works for Facebook, one works for Apple. They have three small children, three little girls. And ever since I've known them, they have worked as a partnership in life, in leadership, in parenting. And they are, they are my role models for exactly what you've just talked about. 
they have negotiated the way they're going to live their life and they do it as partners in life, partners in parenting. And I just, I adore the way, they, they are, as I said, they are my role model. And, and the Claire and Cam model is the model that Tiffany's talking about. It's the model that I talk about. They are having it all because they've defined their all and they've defined everyone's roles in it all and it is equal. It's fantastic. And I hope that they both listen. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I want to continue on with some wisdom from Tiffany Defu, And I'd like to share a rather long quote. This one is something that she said when she was a guest on an HBR podcast. So this isn't from her book, but it's definitely in the same vein of her book, uh, Drop the Ball, which... I highly recommend uh, to mothers or people who are considering becoming mothers. So on the podcast, Tiffany said, I think really it's about redefining what it is that you're striving for and why are you striving for that? And I think it's less about dropping the things that are not as important as it is dropping the things that really don't reflect your highest and best use. When I talk about your highest and best use, I mean, what if the things that you do extraordinarily well with very little effort, probably because you've just done them over and over again, not necessarily because you're a prodigy, combined with what are the things that only you can do? It would be highly irresponsible or callous to delegate these things to someone else. Those are the things that you would want to hold on to that you want to prioritize. And once you're clear about what you need to be focused on, it's much easier to then say, oh my gosh, all of this other stuff I can let go of. I can let this go. Not because it's not important, but because it is not the most efficient or effective strategy or mechanism for you to really achieve your goals. And I'll give an example. One of the things that only I can do in relationship to my kids is instill values in them. It's very hard to outsource the installation of values in a human being. And so my highest and best use in raising conscious global citizens is engaging my kids in meaningful conversations each and every day. I am their coach and chief. What kind of day did you create for yourself today? Who did you laugh with today? Now, does that mean that there wasn't I don't know, a Halloween costume that somebody needed to have made or cookies that were supposed to have been baked for the bake sale? Sure, there's still all of that. Some people might think that those things are important, but I can drop the ball on any of those things because they're no longer in my job description that I've curated for what it means to be an extraordinary mother. As long as I'm having my meaningful conversation each and every day, I know that I'm doing an awesome job and I can drop the ball on the rest. So what you were saying about number two and trade-offs really reminded me of this. So I'd love for you to expound a little more here. And once more, that was a quote from Tiffany Dufu, author of Drop the Ball. That is, oh God, I wish you'd been around. Um, God, there's so much going through my head right now, uh, you know, of, of my own history. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here very calm and collected today. But believe me, listeners, I have done the journey of 
guilt, am I a good enough mother, um, should, blah, 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 you know, all the crap that we go through. Um, but I do remember very early on, and I don't know why, I, I said to myself, you know, I am, I am a quality mother, not a quantity mother, which was my unevolved way of saying, I will spend quality time with my kids and they're actually, I'm better for them in, in quality rather than quantity. And I used to joke about it and what have you, but there was a little undercurrent of, of guilt going through there. But, you know, it's it's almost like the, the stuff we do on leadership. What's this, the right stack? Are you working on the right stack of work? You know, this is a little bit like running a business. There's stuff that only I can do. That is what I'm here to do, to here to create the outcomes that I'm paid to create. From a motherhood perspective, number one, I think we should redefine what is a great mum because, you know, a great mum is whatever you want it to be. And if I think back to what, what Tiffany's saying, yeah, there was probably, you know, I used to say, God, you know, parent of the century as I did the, the scuttle into after-school care or daycare as the last parent and my kid, kids were still sitting there with the carer, the last ones to be picked up again because I'd got caught in a meeting. I think, oh, shoot, here I go again. But, but at some stage I went, you know, there's just some stuff that only I can do that I'm really good at. So I was involved in my daughter's, both my kids, uh, but certainly my daughter's, netball association for a long, long time because I was good at it. I was good at coaching. I was good at administration. I was, that was my contribution. I was really good at that. Now, I wasn't particularly good at showing up for the Mother's Day morning teas and, you know, stuff that happened at school. And, and I deliberately steered my daughter away from doing anything to do with dancing because I went, oh, I, I, don't, I can't even sew a button on, right? So I'll be damned if I'm going to be sewing on thousands of freaking sequins on costumes and all that. So I, I, I agree with that. You, you've got to work at what you're really good at and what is going to be enriching uh, for your children. And, I, and the conversations and the values piece is so important. What our dinner table conversation was always, okay, so what's one thing that you learned today that you didn't know yesterday. That was always, and they go, Mom, come on. I go, no, come on. What's, what's one thing? What's a new thing that you that you know today that you didn't? Because you go, how are you? How was your day? Good. So did you, you know, what did you do? Nothing. Anything interesting to report? Nope. You know, grunt. And particularly my son, you know, boys. He was about 13 and went into his cave that you can only grunt from. So yeah, that, that conversation, but talking and talking about my job and talking about the way we looked at the world, we would talk about you know, our worldview, we wanted to share with our kids. And that was, you know, we would always have dinner together, always. Um, I would always take my kids to school in the morning, but there was just some other stuff I didn't, so I didn't pick them up in the afternoons. I, I, I did get, you know, they did get picked up last sometimes from, from daycare, but I worked out what quality meant and for the women who are listening who are mums or who want to become mums and thinking how the hell am I going to do this better, we again define what, what is it that what, you do you 
the way you want to do you, right? Forget, shut down your Instagram, chuck away all the parenting books, they're bulldust anyway. I always say that you go to these classes before you give birth and I went, oh, jeez, that's one day, man. Where's the classes to tell you how to bring up a human for the next 18 or 20 years? So forget all that stuff. Really define you and, you know, if, if the, the the kid's other parent is around with them, just say, what, what, who are we and what do we stand for? How do we want to do this stuff? And I don't, I don't know, I certainly didn't have those conversations early on in the first part of my kid's life when I was with their father. Didn't have, didn't have this, well, how do we want to do life? How do we want to rear these children? What, what do we want them to, to be? And not, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? How do you want to be as a human? You know, my job for, and I used to say it and I still say it to my kids, my job's not to be your friend. My job was to bring you up as evolved, contributing human beings. So, yeah, you need to know how to do stuff and you need to know how to be a decent human and you need to know about the values. Uh, and that was how we did it. I don't think I could have articulated that particularly well back then, but that's that's how I did it. It's really important. So you define it. You define the way you want to do parenting and life and leadership and work. And drop the ball on the rest. 100%. 100%. You know, my, um, I hope my sister doesn't mind me saying this. <gasps> yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. Sorry, Helen. Sorry, not sorry. So when her first kid was born, she went, all right then, so... I won't be cleaning anymore because I'm now parenting. And um, so someone else had to do it. She just, she said, I'm not picking up a broom ever again. And then a number of years ago, she went, all right, I'm not cooking anymore. I've done cooking for, she's got four children. I've done cooking for six people for, I don't know, 15 or 16 years. I'm out. So she just stopped. Now, that's no so one's great. done. <laughs> I know, it's awesome, isn't it, right? And she's like, no, that's it. I, I, I resign. I did my time. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So there you go. No one died, right? She retired. <laughs> Someone else. Hundred percent. Took on their responsibility. Yep. Yep. That's commitment. But she, I'll tell you one thing. She is very clear about who she is and the way she wants to do life, and she's very clear about communicating that. And so, you know, to my sister, Helen, you rock, man. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those sayings, but it's true. And we all need reminders of this uh, pretty frequently that, you know, we only get to do this once. So, I, uh, yeah, I think yeah. you've got to make decisions about how, how you want to be. So as I always say, life is too short for shit. And does it really matter if... There's a speck of dust on the stairs or the the laundry's spent one more day waiting to be laundered. Uh, it so doesn't matter. And, you know, you don't see that stuff on Instagram. Well, actually, some do. Um, there's a few, like, real, real, real-er posts now. But you do life the way you want to do life. But you've got to define it. Do you want to get shit done for your career? Well, I suggest that you join the Get Shit Done experience in a career that soars. 
The GSD experience is for women who want to take time out of their full lives to reconnect with themselves, their ambition. They want to kickstart their what's next career plan, plus connect and expand their network of driven and ambitious women. Put simply, the GSD experience is for women who are ambitious and driven. Women who want an accountability partner to give them a kick in the butt when needed. Women who want to supercharge their motivation and confidence. And women who want to either define or make their next big move. Join us over at A Career That Soars for the Get Shit Done experience. this has been a great discussion and I want to bring us to some kind of wrap-up point here. So first, I guess what I want to open up is just however you decide to be a mother, uh, for those women who decide to be a mother, whether you decide to go back to work immediately or take several years as a group, as the leaders of a career that soars, we support you in that. And, you know, that's a personal decision that each individual has to make. And what's more important to us is that we support one another in those decisions. Michelle, I just want to ask for any kind of final thoughts on that. And then I've got one more point for us. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good segue because I... I see women and I hear you and I want to support you. And what I want for you, all of you, is what what I felt I didn't have when I was navigating those years of, am I the only one who feels like this? Am I the only one who really wants a career and wants to be a quality, not a quantity mum? There are many of us who want to do this in different ways, but I want I want to support you. I want to know that, I want you to know that whatever the whatever you choose, whatever, however you choose to do life, this is why we exist. This is why a career that's always exists, so that you've got a really safe and supportive environment to figure out some of this gnarly stuff, because it is gnarly, um, but it, don't feel alone, because I did, and... Yeah, if on reflection, it's probably why what drives me to do a bunch of the stuff that I do now, because I don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. And then I also want to acknowledge people who may want to become mothers and don't get to for some reason or another, whether it's due to health or, you know, not meeting the right person. I have a close friend who is probably not going to have children because she didn't meet the right person to have a relationship with. And, you know, of course there's people like me who choose not to have children. And, you know, I think I would love to see support from all sides coming together, right? I want to be supportive of my female colleagues and however they choose to approach their parent parenthood. And I want them to be able to build their career in the way that they want to build it. And, you know, I want to see the same for those of us who don't or 
or can't have children? 100%. And women are too often still defined by motherhood in some way, shape or form. Being a mum, not being a mum, choosing, not choosing. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been a very enriching part of my life, but it's not all of who I am. <laughs> it's just, it isn't, yeah, so I, I agree, Mel. For women, whatever you've chosen or whatever life has chosen for you, let's see each other and really support each other and respect that everyone's path, and it sounds a bit trite, but everyone's path is very, very different, and that's okay. Again, I, my Lena Dunham quote, uh, feminism means um, accepting and acknowledging that other women will make choices that you wouldn't necessarily make for yourself. Here, here. This has been a great discussion. Thank you, Michelle. And I think there's some topics that we've got coming up that are also going to be in support of uh, young mothers in our group. Certainly, we're going to talk about negotiation in a future episode. And, you know, that plays well into those situations of uh, negotiating your work schedule as you're coming back from having a baby and those types of things. Negotiating salary, yeah. Um, and even, you know, let's face it, negotiating at home with your life partner. Um, so, yeah, really important. And, and I think, you know, the other thing I want to call out, Mel, is that, um, that there's another one of my favourite workshops to run is around networking, which I know what it's like to have to navigate your gutter network when you're a mother with younger humans. And there's all sorts of ways that I've found to do that really successfully and hold down all of my other responsibilities. And that doesn't mean showing up to a whole bunch of, you know, my favourite saying, places with, you know, crappy wine and cheese on biscuits and handing out business cards. That's not networking. So stay tuned for that as well. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.